Hey everybody, Pastor Brett here on this Friday evening. It's so good to have you all with us. And um, man, I, I know we're doing a little different format tonight with uh, just being online, but I'm glad to have you joining us. And this evening, we're just gonna be uh, doing a normal prophecy update, our Friday, first Friday prophecy update. I'd like to pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our time, and then we'll dive in. And Lord, we are so thankful for a chance to uh, search the scriptures, to look what your word look at your word carefully and to see what it says about the days we're living. And I pray, Lord, that you bless this time, bless the, the conversation we have, and, and Lord, that you just um, be able to uh, just put your heart in your people, Lord, that we'd have your mind, your heart during these days that we're living. So bless this time, we pray. Uh, use it for your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, July prophecy update, so many topics we could talk about. I could dive into some pretty amazing things that are going on in the Middle East right now. Uh, I'm tempted to talk about uh, what's going on with, you know, Israel. Uh, they're in Janine, where the Israelis have been sort of um, uh, combing that area, which is known for active terrorists and uh, weapons. And uh, boy, there's this big uh, propaganda war about what's happening in Janine right now. And you know, the, the world tries to always make the Israelis look like they're horrible people. Uh, but what they're doing is they're getting rid of weapons and, um, you know, dangerous uh, to, the, the, to the population of Israel, the, these weapons that are in Janine. Um, and, you know, the, just more and more anti-Semitism. We could talk about that. We could talk about, you know, the Russians messing around with our drones over Syria. There's uh, some interesting uh, activity up there in Syria. Uh, but, you know, uh, we could, you know, dive off into the geopolitics of what's going on with China and, um, and uh, the world, Taiwan, uh, what's going on down there. And, uh, but, but I want to uh, take these prophecy updates and uh, often it's so easy to shotgun uh, different topics uh, because there's so much to talk about. And I'm trusting that you've got your favorite prophecy uh, information people out there. But, um, you know, I, I just want to kind of look at the scriptures at some things having to do with the topic of the persecution of the church. Uh, and what is that looking like? What is it going to look like? Um, could we be persecuted? Uh, and uh, the questions about, well, Brad, I thought we were gonna be raptured before the persecution of the church. Well, that might be a little bit of a misnomer that I wanted to cover and talk about. Uh, so we'll do a little bit of a dive into that. Um, as it turns out, Open Doors Report in 2022 uh, uh, show us that around the world, uh, you know, Persecution is on the rise. In 2022, advocacy groups uh, said at least 360 million Christians experienced high levels of persecution. Um, and uh, th this is 20 million higher than 2021. The group also estimated the number of Christians killed for their faith rose to 5,898 in 2022, up from 4,761 in 2021. Afghanistan, North Korea, Libya, Yemen, all saw the highest rates of persecution globally. And persecution in, included instances of intimidation, uh, disinformation, stereotyping, <laughs> legal threats, attacks on places of worship. Um, one thing I think we have to be careful about is a lot of times we as Western Christians think of persecution uh, if only if there was death. In fact, um, I think that we wrongly think of the persecuted church, even of the ancient Roman times as people that were killed, but there was all kinds of different 
types of persecution, even in the first century through the third century that we could talk about. But, um, you know, uh, some of those things, you know, I think we discount them in the West as not really being church persecution. But if you kind of check it out, it is sort of the, the, the issue. Uh, persecution is possible um, before the rapture of the church. And, and the, the reason I want to bring that up is because we, we think, oh, we're going to be martyred for our faith before the rapture of the church. Well, that may not be the type of persecution that we see, but there are various kinds. And I think that, um, you know, uh, one of the things we need to do is um, ready ourselves uh, for that kind of persecution. And uh, what does that mean to ready yourself uh, for persecution if if that's coming our way? We're going to talk about that. Um, But I think, you know, to be ready, it, it reminds me of Daniel the prophet. Uh, Daniel, when he was a young man, taken from his home in Jerusalem and, uh, you know, lost his parents, kind of, you know, fresh start in there in uh, Babylon, um, you might say. But he was a guy who, like this scripture, Daniel chapter one, verse eight, you know, it says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Um, I love Daniel as a young man, uh, this, this phrase in the Bible that he had purposed in his heart. Um, that's what I think the Lord would have us to think about is to be a people of, of clear purpose in the days where um, clarity is lacking and disinformation and misinformation. And, and what are you going to believe and what are you going to accept and what are you going to say and how are you going to respond to the non-believing world that puts all kinds of pressure on us to be more like them? Uh, to be conformed to the world. And um, I think if, you, uh, if you're not ready for this, um, you might be caught off guard and not really be ready to do the right thing. Uh, should we be surprised uh, that persecution could happen to the true church of Jesus Christ in the days before the rapture of the church? Let me talk about that for a second. Um, you know, th- don't, don't get me wrong. The tribulation period will include persecution. No, no question about that and martyrdom. Um, But largely, the persecution that's going to happen there is going to be um, directly from Satan. Uh, Some of the trouble in the world is going to be the wrath of God being poured out upon a Christ-rejecting sinful world. That's the tribulation period. Um, But but I think we have to be careful not to think that because we're going to be raptured before the tribulation period that we are somehow going to be protected from any persecution. That'd be arrogant because historically the church has been persecuted for millennia. Um, and um, <clears throat> what do we, you know, we're not special uh, in that sense, uh, Christians that are going to bypass persecution. Uh, I, I believe it's the enemies <clears throat> of a pre-trib rapture view that likes to promote, oh, you guys pre-tribbers are just trying to say you'll never go through persecution. Well, that's not the case. Um, I, I believe that we pre-trib uh, view uh, Bible, uh, you know, uh, stud- students, we, we really like to uh, believe that um, we get to escape the worst time that's ever going to be on the planet Earth. That's the tribulation period. We do get to escape escape those things. But that's not to say there won't be really bad things coming right before that. In fact, I would argue that it's possible that we, in last days, believers, Christian church, will see some of the buildup that leads to the events of the tribulation period. And so that's some of the things that really I'd like to kind of cover on this prophecy update. Um, And does the Bible uh, talk about persecution? Well, it says a ton about how we uh, will probably likely face 
uh, persecution. Let me go through a few of them. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 12, it says, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's a promise of God's word. You can put that up on your mirror as a memory verse. You know, it's funny how we, I love to do all the promises of God's word that, you know, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Those are the ones we love to memorize. But this is a good one. Uh, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's a promise. Um, also, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 uh, through 14, it says, Beloved, uh, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though you, something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Now, notice this next line here in verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. What a shock. You know, I think we as Christians, when we're insulted because of the name of Christ, we're, we're not blessed, we're offended, or we're even angered or upset. But uh, Peter says, no, <clears throat> when you're insulted, <coughs> excuse me, uh, for the name of Christ, um, you're, you're blessed because that means the spirit of glory of, of God rests upon you. That's a sign that God's with you when you hear people insulting you because of Jesus. First um, John 3.13 says, don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Um, boy, do you get a sense that the world, uh, their hatred for Christians is on the rise? Uh, we're seeing that exponentially. We'll talk more about that in a second. Matthew 13, verses 20 through 21, it says, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. This is what I'm talking about. Purposing in your heart, being ready for when trouble comes. There in Matthew 13, 20 through 21, talking about the, the seed that's sown and how you know some of it doesn't really take root uh, and it endures for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, then immediately falls away. And I, I'm really concerned that the modern day church today, um, because we've moved away from teaching the scriptures verse by verse, and uh, we've skipped over a lot of Bible study and scripture. And I'm not sure people, they're rooted as deeply as maybe they once were even a generation ago in the scriptures. Um, you know, did you see that Jeopardy round um, uh, where they ask, you know, the Lord's Prayer finished, you know, our Father who art in heaven, blank be your name. And, the, and, the, and the, the, all the contestants just sat there blank and they didn't know the word hallowed, uh, hallowed be thy name. <laughs> and it's kind of funny because, uh, that, you know, that would have been a, 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 a giveaway uh, for a lot of people a decade ago. But I think that the world is less instructed in the word. And because they don't have the roots in the word, when persecution comes, this verse is prophetic. We're going to see uh, people immediately falling away. And the Bible even says there's going to be a great falling away uh, as we get closer to the end. The word is apostasia, talked about in 2 Thessalonians, um, that's going to happen in the end times and, and in the tribulation period. So part of what I want to talk about to this, this evening is basically... Um, how do we root ourselves? How do we prepare ourselves 
uh, if persecution, in fact, is coming on the way. And I believe it is. I think we're seeing that. Uh, let me give you a couple more scriptures. First Peter 3.17, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Um, that's a decision you and I are going to have to make. Are we going to do good and suffer? Even though, you know, what, what are you talking about, Brett? Well, you know, what's good? Um, that's a, a, a new... Uh, term that's being redefined, what is good and what is evil. Um, you know, if you're saying, I'm going to, you know, stand up for the unborn baby uh, the, that the world likes to call a fetus, that it's actually a person that God has created and fearfully, wonderfully made. Um, if you're going to stand up for that good, the world is going to think you evil. So like Peter's saying, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, then for doing evil. A lot of the people of the world are defaulting to the evil just to not suffer. And I, I think as a church, we need to make it up in our mind to say, what are we going to do when we're faced with decisions when persecution uh, may be coming right around the corner? Uh, didn't Jesus warn us about persecution? I mean, I could just go on and on with scripture about persecution. In the Olivet Discourse, when Jesus was asked by the disciples, you know, what's going to happen? When's the end of the age? Uh, you know, in your second coming. And Jesus answered that really long dissertation, the, the Olivet Discourse. And he said there in Matthew 24, 9, he said, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Now you may say, well, Brett, that's going to be in the tribulation. I believe that could happen as a ramp up to uh, the tribulation period. It's possible. And I think we should perhaps be mentally ready, mentally prepared uh, for if that is to happen. So persecution is kind of a big deal. Now you say, Brett, so we're going to be thrown in prison or tortured for our, our faith. Maybe you remember Richard Warmbrand and Tortured for Christ and some of those books. I remember uh, my parents read one of those books to me when I was a kid. And I remember thinking, wow, persecution is real. And it was helpful for me to see what people in the church history have had to go through. But, um, but I want to um, basically uh, show you how persecution, uh, I believe, could come in many forms and, and perhaps ways that you may not really think about. Um, unless you're following what's going on in the world today, persecution is not going to look like Stephen the martyr necessarily. Uh, it might look more like that during the tribulation, but in the ramping up to the tribulation, uh, there's more subtle forms of persecution that I think we need to be perhaps thoughtful of. The stage is set, in my opinion, for a new wave even of persecution, something that is fairly unfamiliar to us, at least in the West. Um, you know, it, and it starts to um, answer some questions. Have you ever thought about why is Target and Budweiser, you know, businesses, why are they willing to lose so much money right now? Have you ever thought about that? Like what, what drives a, a company like, you know, North Face, um, you know, that uh, just used to be about tents and camping and backpacks and stuff. What would make them throw a bunch of profit away by going extremely woke? Um, well, this leads to one of the things that I think will be more of a future way of persecution of the church of Jesus Christ. Um, those corporations are concerned about um, their ESG score. Do you know what an ESG score is? Um, it's kind of an interesting thing. And if you don't know about it, it's, it's, it kind of explains why these companies, they're, they're in it for the long haul. Um, they know they're going to take a loss now, but it's almost like these companies are feeling like they have to check a politically correct box to get their uh, sort of their uh, ESG score. What's that? Well, 
here's what it is. If an, if an investor, say investor A, prioritizes environmental and climate issues, they can easily look at the ratings provided by the Carbon Disclosure Project, uh, you know, uh, to identify companies that are big performers when it comes to climate change and stuff like that. If you're a, a company that's really good about your climate change and stuff, then you'll get a higher score. Uh, um, and then there's also uh, not just environmental, but social and governance factors. They can look at the ratings provided by Bloomberg ESG ratings, for example, to identify um, the bigger um, you know, companies that are doing a, what they would call a really good job with their ESG. That is environmental, social, which is LGBTQ stuff. Um, the big performers of the, of the, and so Target is right at the top of the list. Target risked all, put all their, got a Satanist to design their artwork and uh, their sales situation for these, uh, you know, gender fluid people. Um, so Target gets a score that's higher. Dodgers get a better score um, uh, along with uh, North Face and all that. Now, um, Th these these companies are looking. You know, your diversity, equity, and inclusion score also is part of that. Um, and and these these uh, large corporations that are the bankers that hold all the money, like BlackRock and others. And that's not the coffee. Uh, the coffee is is a great company, uh, but BlackRock, the the big dollar bank, uh, they're the ones who are kind of behind putting all this pressure on these companies to get their high ESG score. I remember when Debbie and I got a. Uh, um, uh, our bill in the mail for our electricity one winter uh, when we lived in Tualatin and uh, we were living in a, a neighborhood there in Tualatin and our bill said, you, you are 75% higher use of electricity than all the neighbors in your neighborhood. And they, they told us how we were you know, using too much energy in our home. Now, at that time we had uh, three high schoolers and two other adults in our house uh, along with uh, uh, a guy that was staying with us uh, who was on the road and stuff, and he stayed with us for six months. So we were, we were definitely you know, cranking out the energy. Plus, I like lights, and I like heat and things like that, so we let it rip. But we got zinged you know, by the, the PGE for telling us, oh, you guys are using too much electricity. Well, that's kind of where this all goes, not only in corporations, but also... Uh, in the personal life, and and that's where we start to get to some of these other kinds of things. By the way, the the you know the idea of diversity and equity inclusion score um, basically um, uh, being a Christian counts against you in this whole social thing because if you're a Bible believing, God fearing Christian, you're against abortion, you're against uh, some of the diversity uh, that so called. Um, you know, I, I have to say, by the way, this um, I've been wrestling with this idea of LGBTQIA+, and I, you know, I, I jokingly say it because it's just hilarious all the letters, and and you know, some people just call it alphabet soup, and and I laugh at that because uh, it's, it is kind of funny. It is sort of they change it every ten minutes, um, but I also have to say, by us saying LGBTQIA+, it's almost like we're affirming passively sort of affirming what they want us to say. We're supposed to include and be inclusive of all those. And if, if you haven't looked at what all those mean, uh, boy, you've got a lot of homework to do because uh, uh, it includes, if you look at the flag of the LGBTQIA+, and the plus basically at the end is anything goes. Um, if you're talking about pedophilia, it's part of that group. And, and for us to say it like it's something that we should respect and honor, LGBTQ+, 
TIA plus or whatever. Um, I, I feel like uh, we're sort of, if we're not careful, we could be speaking lies by just saying the acronym. I, I'm wrestling with that myself. Uh, so call it what you will, um, but uh, alphabet soup or, or just perversion and uh, sin, that's what the Bible calls it. Um, but it's funny how we have, by embracing their acronym, it's almost like there's, a, there's an inch by inch acceptance of, of the, whole, um, the whole thing. I'm, I'm concerned about that as Christians. At least to be aware of that is kind of important. Um, but obviously that kind of a worldview is not gonna get a high uh, score in a social kind of uh, situation. Mocking Christianity is fair game. If you mock Christianity, you get a high score. Like um, you know the like I said the um, you know the sisters of indulgences at the Dodgers game Gerald Garth applauded the Dodgers you know he he was um, he was the Pride board pres he's the Pride board president for the Dodgers and he stands there and applauds for these sisters of indulgences um, that's a, a a company that is mocking Christianity it's not only that they're getting a good score for being socially into homosexuality and and um, transgenderism and queerness and all that stuff. They're getting a high score because they're also knocking the, the, the um, Catholic church and what have you, which is interesting. Um, and Hollywood has made an art form out of mocking Jesus. Have you guys seen this? Um, musicians mocking, uh, uh, famous uh, people mocking Christ and mocking Christianity and mocking the cross. It's amazing, not these, just these sisters of indulgences, but Hollywood performers and, you know, um, maybe you've seen some of these celebrities that are heroes of your kids probably. If you're not careful, mom and dad, the kids you're listening, the, the, the people your kids are listening to and watching and they're, they're heroes, Demi Lovato, uh, Conor McGregor, Beyonce, Chris Rock. You know, Chris Rock did a whole bit on how God doesn't know what he's doing and, they, um, and everybody laughs and chuckles and thinks it's funny. Um, but it's a mockery of Jesus Christ. And, and, um, and you get points for that in our world. If you're mocking Christianity, it's amazing. You can't mock Islam. You can't, you, Christianity is the only uh, religion that is fair game for mockery, for hatred, for vitriol. We're seeing that on a whole new level right now. Um, that's something to kind of watch. We're seeing that. Um, and I believe that um, one of those points of persecution, by the way, is that uh, we're gonna see that even get greater. Uh, Christians are gonna be more hated and the things we believe that are biblical are gonna be more despised. So what happens when you don't get the higher score socially because you're a Christian? Uh, well, that, that leads to another point. Um, that is the central bank digital currencies. They could lead to Christian persecution. Um, in recent years, we've discussed you know, this on other prophecy updates, but the central digital bank currencies that are, uh, they're, they're talking about, we, we've uh, witnessed an interest, a growing interest in the, the idea of this central bank digital currency. And it can be programmed. This money's, the monies can be programmed. Similar to cash, central bank digital currencies are a form of money issued by central banks. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's money that can be programmable in that uh, you can make it do something or not do something, unlike our current dollars. Um, central bank uh, digital currencies are expected to uh, hand authorities, whoever they may be, 
the ability to completely control the finances of their citizens. Um, states would be able to restrict citizens from purchasing any services and goods. Uh, the governments would gain greater influence and control uh, over people's lives. Um, you know, for example, societies will be able to decide whether limiting someone who's addicted to gambling from buying a lottery ticket is a positive feature of the money. I mean, they'll have their ways of selling this, like, you know, it can help solve the gambling problem and, and what have you. Similarly, they might um, also be able to decide uh, whether welfare assistance can be only used for food or, or medicine or rent. Uh, they'll, they'll be able to delineate where monies go, but controlling the money. Um, and so you say, well, that sounds great, uh, you know. Um, uh, well, that, that really brings us to the next level, which we've talked about, and that is the social credit score. It's already happening uh, in China. This Time Magazine article, how China is using social credit scores to reward and punish its citizens by uh, the author Charlie Campbell. Um, basically, uh, government agencies of, this, uh, of the Chinese uh, compile and share data on judgments against individuals or companies. Um, if you fail to pay a fine or court-ordered compensation or default on your debts, you'll be put on the list of untrustworthy persons, blacklisted individuals. Uh, you can't, if, you're that, if you're in that category, they won't allow you to make luxury uh, purchases, such as high-speed rail um, or air tickets or hotel rooms. Um, by the way, five million people in China um, uh, have been barred from the high-speed trains and 17 million from flights under the scheme of their social credit score, according to the official website. Uh, the ripple effect on every part of your life becomes uh, very much of a multiplier of punishments. Uh, a professor, uh, a big data expert, uh, wrote about all this, Frank uh, Pasquale uh, at the University of Maryland, um, and writes about how um, they can pretty much shut you down completely. Um, now, you might be tempted to think, oh, Pastor Brett, no problem. I'm a good person. I pay my bills. I have a good credit score today. We all, we all have a credit score. We've been comfortable, sort of, with that for many years now. And maybe you do have a good credit score. Why would my social credit score be any different? The answer uh, is very clear. Um, you know, they're not going to measure you on being a good person in your sense of what is good. Uh, they're gonna measure what is good in their sense of, of, of um, good. We'll talk more about that. Uh, by the way, a new federal rule means um, that just came into the United States, uh, home buyers with the higher credit scores, um, they're actually using that to see their uh, fees on mortgages increase. So if you have a good credit score, you, you know they're, they're talking about how <clears throat> they're gonna ding those that have been really good with their money um, depending on their own payment uh, amount. Uh, people with lower credit scores will generally see fees decrease on the mortgage and what have you. So that's gonna be interesting. That, there's an example of you having a good credit score where it's actually gonna count against you. In the same way, I think um, it's gonna be like what the Bible tells us about, calling good evil and evil good. Another thing that we're uh, starting to see is this massive movement and what Isaiah talked about, uh, calling good evil and, and evil good. Isaiah 5.20 declares, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Um, you know, um, 
we're seeing that happen right before our eyes um, in radical, radical ways. Stuff that we would have never imagined. You know, not that long ago, we would have jailed some of these men who are today living out their sexual fantasies and, ex uh, and, um, and at the expense of children. Uh, these pedophiles, as we used to call them, now they're minor attracted persons. You see how they did that? They do that all the time, changing the vocabulary and the words and all that. But, um, but isn't it amazing how it's turning? If you're a person who's saying, yeah, that's horrible and wrong, and, and if a guy is doing that in front of children, he needs to be put in jail like we used to do. Um, but uh, th these are just perverted men living out their fantasies uh, and they should be corrected. But if you say that, um, you are the one who's the evildoer. You're the one who's called bad or evil if you say that that's evil and wrong. And it's starting to turn. We're seeing big issues like that uh, turn. Um, and um, and it's, it's really kind of a religion in and of itself. I believe it's part of the great uh, deception that the Bible talks about in the last days. But um, Yahoo Life article, uh, maybe you saw this. Did you see this this last month? I feel like sometimes our prophecy updates a little bit of review of the past month. But um, you, know, you, you saw it on June 28th there in New York City. The LGBTQ activists defend, we're coming for your children chant. Um, LGBTQ activists, I'll just read part of this article, defend, defended drag queen marchers who chanted, we're coming for your children. A chant they claim has been used for years, according to a report. NBC News published a story on Tuesday how LGBTQ activists claimed the chant, which was re recorded at the New York City drag queen parade in June, was taken out of context. It's all just words, Brian Griffin, the original organizer of the New York City Drag Queen Parade told NBC News. It's all presented to fulfill their worst stereotypes of us. How do you take that out of context? Uh, we're here, we're queer, and we're coming for your children. That's what they were chanting. Um, if they didn't want to be misunderstood, they probably should have been saying that. Um, I believe their objectives are very clear and it's exactly what they're doing. Um, they're, uh, they're basically uh, throwing our children again uh, into real peril because uh, they're actually going for your children. We're seeing that in our education system. Um, by the way, um, so, so what happens with, with all this stuff? Fear is what they use. The idea of being afraid to stand up and say, that's wrong, uh, that's pedophilia, um, that's illegal. Uh, that should never be done, a guy doing those behavioral things in front of children. That should never happen. Now, there's fear to say, well, you're now a homophobe or you're a hater, um, and uh, they call you all kinds of names. Um, and by the way, this using of fear, <clears throat> this, is a this is a process using fear, and this is one of our main things here. The process of fear has been a, a, a long work in progress. They've been slowly chipping away um, especially here in the West, in America, uh, to help those of us that are strong in our beliefs to sort of chip away to weaken those beliefs. Um, and I think we saw that perhaps in a real profound way during the whole COVID um, you know, deal. Uh, a City Journal article uh, called Throne to the Wolves, um, a physician reveals the nightmare of transgender ideology in a major children's hospital by Christopher F. Rufo. This is an interesting article. Let me read uh, Christopher Rufo uh, interviews 
a, a doctor, and this physician won't uh, give the name or, or let us see his face. He's, he's um, uh, trying to be not known, but he's answering this article uh, author, his interview. The, uh, Christopher Rufo said, please begin by setting the scene. What's it like at a major children's hospital in the United States regarding transgender interventions for children? And the physician answered, I think the best way to answer that question is to talk about the cultural shift that happened in 2020 because transgender ideology and COVID are inextricably linked. Normally doctors operate by the authority of the professional societies that govern our specific practice. The, uh, that worked because the individuals in those institutions were reliable, intelligent, and thoughtful. But with COVID in 2020, we um, started getting medical degrees without peer review um, or evidence. <laughs> um, you saw this, he goes on, he says, you saw this with masks, social distancing, emergency use authorizations. These decrees were expressed as something that everyone had to do. Uh, without justification based on sound science. The other thing was also censorship. If, um, if you were asked questions to express a doubt about these medical decrees, you would be ostracized within your department and you stood a good chance of being publicly humiliated, se uh, severely reprimanded or fired. That's when transgender ideology really took off. Um, this is the beginning of that new kind of persecution I was talking about where they'll try to, with fear, put pressure, and it's this group uh, piling on of anyone who wants to say, hey, that's wrong, or that's not even scientifically sound, um, but this dogpiling on a person and causing people to be afraid to stand up and speak out. It's happening <clears throat> so sadly, it's happening to doctors in the medical field, which you know, they, they had an oath to stand up for what was right and help people. Um, but it's even worse, it's happening in the Church of Jesus Christ. Um, it's amazing to me how many pastors still neglect to uh, just speak the, the whole truth of the scriptures. Paul said there in Acts 20, I have not shunned to declare the whole counsel of God. And oh, how the church needs that. And, and I believe when Jesus said, um, you know, that uh, you're, you're going to have your soil, the seed, not get very deep rooted. And then when persecution comes, you'll just flee away, just like the, the shallow rooted plant. Um, that's what's happening today in many of the Christian churches today, pastors, churches. Um, this, this tells us we need to be soaking up the word of God. We need to read the scriptures carefully and be let, uh, letting the word dictate what is true and what is right. Um, you know, speaking of transgenderism uh, and fear, this is happening in a radical level in California. California Globe article uh, under, uh, under new California bill, parents would be charged with child abuse for not affirming transgenderism. Um, there, this is a video uh, um, under California's AB 957. A parent could lose custody of their children for not affirming whatever their child believes about their gender. Um, this is where um, one of the officials there in California uh, tries to defend this, this bill. Uh, let's roll that. So this particular bill adds the very important factor that affirming a child's gender identity is in their best interest, which is what your question is about. Why does it, get, why does it actually say that in a, an affirmative way? And it really is because if you have a seven-year-old who's, who's talking about having a potential to say, I being able to articulate 
that they believe that they are not the same gender um, as they are biologically, then it should be affirmed. And through care, it should be determined. And that's what we did with our own child. And that would give the ability for a parent who wasn't sure to affirm and get their child the care that they need to make that, so they can begin to articulate that determination. But by saying and rejecting it in wholesale, then you're essentially rejecting your child. And that is not in the best interest of a child. We should be affirming our children in every possible way and getting them whatever appropriate care they need, whether it's based on their gender, whether it's based on how their um, studies are in school, it doesn't matter. Our children should be affirmed. And this is saying that you have to include gender affirmation as a part of that. Well, with that kind of logic, I think um, we're in big trouble. Uh, it's amazing that a person who's a political official could even say such a horrible thing uh, and be so brainwashed, really. Uh, but that is where things are going. And if you're one who says what, what that woman just said is ridiculous, um, you are a hater, you're a homophobe, you're a bigot, you're uh, fill in the blanks. And, um, and your social score is gonna go down which is gonna affect your ability to buy and sell. Does that sound familiar? You see, in the tribulation, we know there's gonna come a time where there's gonna be a system, a financial system, where you will not be able to buy or sell unless you've taken the mark of the beast. Um, the Re book of Revelation makes that really clear, and we've talked about that for years. It's only now where we're seeing that really focused into view and, and, and the ramping up to that moment when that's gonna happen. And some people think, well, have I taken the mark of the beast if I you know, get uh, this or that? If I you know, um, uh, you know, get, get a credit card? I remember people thinking, you know, uh, you know, if I get a passport, am I taking the mark of the beach, beast? One thing about the mark of the beast you need to know is you'll know that you're, you're gonna be signing an allegiance with this antichrist character. When you take the mark of the beast, it's going to be, the Bible says, it's, a, it's an act of worship of the mark of the beast. And so, and it's also gonna be during the tribulation period, which we're not gonna be here for that. So um, let's be clear, uh, I'm not talking about the mark of the beast with your social credit score and buying or selling with the mark, but we're seeing the precursors, the ramping up to that before the tribulation. And, and all those pieces could be in place before the tribulation even happens. Uh, for example, a, a digital currency that would be very transferable to buy or sell only with a mark. Um, that's all in the process right now. But if your social score is low, then they'll be able to control whether you buy or sell and what you're able to do, which could affect your very life. Uh, that could all happen even before the mark of the beast even is employed. Um, uh, speaking of which, uh, one of the people that's interesting to watch in these last days, and we've talked about him a few times, is um, you know this George Soros. Um, you know He's getting pretty old, up in his 90s, um, uh, this Washington, Washington Examiner article, what George Soros' succession plan means for America. You see, uh, George Soros is uh, passing the baton, as this sort of cartoon indicates, to his son Alex, um, who's the younger son. He's got an older son in his 50s, but this son's, uh, I, think, I think he's 37. But um, this article says a George Soros-funded charity is the architect behind a Democratic bill to decriminalize hard drugs across the United States. Uh, we in Portland, we know how that works. Drugs have been decriminalized and uh, we're way worse off than we were just even a couple years ago. Just an FYI for you other states that are wondering. Uh, it doesn't work. It's horrifying. Uh, uh, Portland is the joke 
of our nation, and it's because we've legalized all these drugs. Um, so Soros is very big on that. Um, why, the question is. Despite overdose de deaths, this article goes on, um, notching record highs during the COVID-19 pandemic, but chief among George Soros' interest in, interests is his campaign for what he calls reform prosecutors. We've seen this already. Uh, and that more than any other factor, it is what makes his donations not merely wrong-headed, but flat-out dangerous. He's funding these prosecutors that are not keeping criminals in jail, not uh, enforcing the law, um, you know, putting more attractive um, uh, uh, reasons why people should commit crimes than the penalty if they commit crimes. Uh, that's a, a Soros-funded thing, and all these prosecutors are for, funded by him. Now, what's interesting is this: people think, well, just let George Soros kick the bucket. He's in his 90s. I think he's, what, 92, 94? Um, well, they're already talking about what's going to happen. They're going to put the more attractive personality, the article says, of Alexander Soros at the head of the OSF. Uh, um, it doesn't alter the facts about how one family enterprise is changing America for the worse. It isn't going too far to assert the Soros foundations are now endangering American and, by the way, Jewish lives, which is very interesting. Soros has sort of been kind of anti-Semitic, which is shocking, um, as much as um, any other factor. Um, uh, um, America, with Soros money, is um, starting to, we're starting to see really bad fruit from that. Um, you know, it, it's interesting to me because um, as we see this, this stuff going on, um, you know, we, we realize that there's people that are anti-America, but you wonder why is Soros doing what he's doing? This gets back to the World Economic Forum and the whole global kind of thing. And, um, you know, people that are constitutional, Bible-believing Americans were the one thing that kind of stands in the way globally of all that coming together in one world government, just like the book of Revelation talks about. Um, and so they use all these things, the, the money, the politics, the LGBTQ, the climate change. Um, uh, the climate change thing is one of the tools. Uh, oh, and by the way, uh, one thing I'd like to bring up, uh, phew, we made it past Greta Thunberg's prophecy. Um, by the way, I'm not a prophet. I, I read Bible prophecy, but Greta Thunberg made a, a prophecy. Uh, let's see if she was correct. Five years ago, this article uh, reminded us on June 20th, because it would be the 21st, first, um, five years ago, Greta Thunberg said the world would end on Wednesday. Um, <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, people should be saying, how dare you, Swedish climate change activist Greta Thunberg, remember, as she said that to all of us, um, how dare you, you know, she cried out uh, after she predicted in 2018 that climate change would wipe out the world this uh, Wednesday a few weeks ago. Uh, a top climate scientist is warning that climate change will wipe out all of humanity unless we stop using fossil fuels over the next five years, said Thunberg in a, a since-deleted tweet. Um, you know, it's funny how all these so-called experts, um, uh, not that Greta was an expert, but boy, the experts jumped on her bandwagon. She was their poster child, and they used her and put her out in front uh, to display someone who is right about climate change. Uh, but climate change is one of those tools <clears throat> they're using to cause us to be fearful. Uh, fearful that the world's gonna end, which it is going to end as it turns out, uh, just not in the way that they're saying it's going to end. Just 
read 2 Peter chapter 3. You can find out how the world's going to end there um, and as well as other places. But it's interesting because if you're one who's to say, yeah, this climate change thing is, uh, doesn't measure up and everything that they've been saying since the inconvenient truth, it's shockingly inconvenient that none of the truths that Al Gore talked about ha uh, has come to pass. None of them. Um, we've, we, you know, now, Brett, you're, you're, didn't you notice the globe is warmer uh, the last few days? They're saying, you know, in the last few days we've broken new records. Well, um, the climate, you know, people that I've been reading and some of the so scholars and, and scientists are saying the world goes through cycles um, and, and they're sort of concentric circles. Uh, we go through cycles, winter, summer, winter, summer. But even outside of that, we go through El Ninos and different types of weather, weather patterns each year. And then outside of that, we go through decades of different you know, stretches of time. Uh, of course, the Ice Age was one big one. Um, but um, many of the, the scientists are not really standing as strongly on climate change as they once were. The ones that are standing on it are, I think, driven by fear. You'll be like the doctors when we talked about the, the transgender issue with medicine. Same thing with the science behind uh, climate change, so-called. Um, there's fear. You'll be ostracized. You'll be demoted. Uh, even if you're a Pulitzer Prize winning scientist or a Nobel Peace Award winning person, they'll just totally cancel you if you say anything wrong about the climate. Uh, Thunberg uh, just is another of many who is just wrong about what they prophesied. Well, Brett, you've been wrong about the rapture. Clar clarify, I've, I've never said when the rapture is going to happen. Anybody who claims they know when the rapture is going to happen, they're wrong. The Lord says that an hour when you think not, that's when the, the, the second coming of Christ is. And um, the rapture is going to come and shock people. Uh, it's going to be something we don't know the day or the hour, nor will we know the second coming of Christ. So we've never prophesied that. We're just saying we're looking at the times and the seasons, and it sure seems that we're getting nearer and nearer to that end. Um, you know, with all that said, uh, if, if more of this sort of modern version of persecution comes where they cancel you or give you a social credit score, not a credit score, but a social score, um, that's bad and suddenly you're limited and you can't travel and you can't purchase things and um, they're going to make it so it's hard for you to even exist. <clears throat> what, what do we as Christians do? Um, how do we, you and I as Christians, prepare uh, for persecution uh, if and when it comes? Um, now, I want to deal with this question from a pastoral biblical perspective. Um, and I say that because some of you are thinking, Brett, practically, should you get gold and store food and build bunkers? Um, well, <clears throat> I'm just going to say that's out of my realm of expertise. Um, I've got a lot of different feelings about all that stuff. Um, uh, but spiritually, biblically, how should we pray? That's prepare. That's what I want to mostly talk about. And it, and it really goes back to what I mentioned about Daniel. Where did Daniel get that notion from Daniel chapter one to purpose in his heart not to defile himself with the king's meat. Um, long before he was ever tempted with the king's meat in Babylon and the king's wine, um, long before he was tempted to become a good old Babylonian, you know, um, where did he get that? I believe it's possible that Daniel received that from his parents. He was taught um, that you need to be set in your ways and you need to not be easily tempted. And I bet you that Daniel's parents rehearsed the scriptures 
the Old Testament, the, the, you know, uh, the first five books of the Old Testament. I'm sure Daniel and his parents went through that stuff over and over again. And Daniel, already as a young man, had purposed in his heart, I'm not going to defile myself with the king's meat. Um, you guys that are dieters, you know how this goes. Uh, if you're dieting and you're trying to lose weight, uh, you know, I've, I've spent half my life dieting um, and trying to lose weight. And I, I don't send me letters. I know all the diets, keto and, uh, you know, uh, fasting and intermittent fasting and all, all that stuff. And uh, I can write the book on that. I've lost lots of weight. But one thing I've learned is if I go into a restaurant with no plan and I'm trying to diet, uh, it'll look something like this. I'll have your ribeye steak with mashed potatoes, extra butter, and a side of bacon, and a Diet Pepsi. Uh, that's my no plan version. If you go into a restaurant and say, okay, before I go in, I need to think about, okay, I'm going to have something that's leaner. You know, like you have to plan it out because once you get in there and smell the food and once you're in there with all the people and your friends, you don't want to be weirdo with all your dieting things. Um, you're just going to mess up. I fear that the Christian church is like that. If we don't purpose in our heart long before the persecution comes, then when it comes, we're going to easily be blown away like Matthew told us there, Jesus told us that the rooted plant that was so shallow just blew off at the first sign of persecution. That's, that's sadly the condition of the church today. So what we need to do is really set our mind on, Lord, I'm going to purpose in my heart to follow your word and not say the words they want me to say. I'm not going to give in to the ideas they want me to give in to. I'm not gonna accept things that the Bible calls sinful and wrong, even an abomination. I'm not gonna accept those things as good when your word calls them evil. And you have to decide that right now because when you're in, in, in a tense situation in front of a crowd or people or work or at school, um, if you're not already purposed in your heart, you're going to kind of go, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, you know, LGBTQIA or whatever, just to kind of go with the flow. I think those days are over. I think it's time for the Christian church to just speak the truth, to speak it in love, but to nonetheless speak the truth. Um, Matthew chapter 5, <clears throat> verses 11 through 12, Jesus said this on the Sermon on the Mount. So here's the first thing you need to do. When, you, when people put you in that persecution what do you do? Uh, how do you purpose in your heart? Well, the first thing is you have to recognize the good. Uh, there's a silver lining. Matthew 5, 11 and 12 says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And then he says, rejoice and be glad. Isn't that funny? When you're persecuted, here's what you do. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Um, that's the first thing you need to do. When you feel like you're being persecuted or they're putting that fear-mongering thing against you um, and you've already purposed in your heart to say, I'm not going to defile myself. I'm not going to speak lies about the pronouns. I'm not going to speak lies about what I believe about uh, sin. Um, but instead of just being fearful, the Bible says we should be joyful. Uh, rejoice and be glad for your reward will be great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets before you. Um, so that's, that's the first marching order Jesus gives us about how to prepare ourselves to be ready to rejoice if people come against you. That's something that you should mentally prepare for. Luke chapter six, verses 27 through 29 says, but I say unto you who, uh, who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, Pray for those who are abusing you. Um, to one who strikes you on the cheek, 
offer the other uh, cheek. Um, and from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Um, this is what Jesus says, and you can't get away from these words. I, um, <clears throat> I know what some of you are thinking, Brett, what are we going to do? Just sit around and take a beating? Let me say this. I'm not a pacifist. Um, there's obviously another side of this coin uh, for me. <clears throat> and that is, you know, there's, a, there's a, a time to protect the people you love, defend your, ba- your, your family, even go to battle. Uh, if that's what it takes. Um, have you ever read the Old Testament? There's a few battles. God's people fought battles and killed, killed people. Uh, so warfare, battle, in the right context, in the right setting, has its place. Um, but as an individual, it's kind of interesting when the Lord Jesus gives us these words in Luke and says, um, man, bless those who curse you. Pray for the, well, what if they're violating it? If they smite you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. If they rip you off and take your cloak, don't even withhold your tunic. I mean, Jesus takes it to the opposite direction because I think human nature wants to go the opposite of what he just said. Um, In these days of persecution and where the world is going, I think we need to be Christians that are practiced. We need to practice right now, loving our enemies. We We gotta get better at knowing what that looks like, uh, to love your enemies, to do good to those who hate you. Um, So when that neighbor who hates you because you're a Christian, instead of doing something mean to them or ignoring them or banning them or talking bad about them, the Lord tells you to do something good. Do good to those who hate you. Um, Bless those who want to curse you and even pray for those who abuse you. Are you a person who feels abused if you're a public school teacher and they're trying to cram some woke curriculum down your throat that you're supposed to teach to the other kids. That's, this, is, this is a great example of what I feel is persecution. It's persecution to make a, a Christian teach something that's totally against their belief system. Um, and the early church, didn't, they didn't know anything about that. When the early church, uh, the Romans came and said, say Caesar is Lord. They said, we will not say Caesar is Lord because he's not. Jesus is Lord. Um, they all made a decision to say, we're not going to say Caesar is Lord. And I know a lot of you public school teachers, you Christians out there, you're in the front lines having to make those decisions. Am I going to talk about to, to seven-year-olds about gender uh, um, you know, um, fluidity? Uh, am I going to encourage and even keep from parents uh, that their kids changing their name and changing their gender as if you could actually do that? Um, some of you teachers have purposed in your heart saying, I will not do that, even if it costs me my job. But that's the kind of decision-making you're going to have to have. You're going to have to make that decision before that day comes. Um, but even still, when those people are cramming that curriculum down your throat, while you're not going to live those lies and speak those lies as a teacher, nonetheless, you're called to love them, to do good to them. Um, this is what Jesus taught us. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you um, and just turn the other cheek. Uh, so I'm not a pacifist, but I do believe that um, we as Christians perhaps need to be willing to sort of take the hits and even love those that are mean to us. Um, that meanness is getting more rampant. That's my point. Um, 
Persecution is coming in all forms today, and I'm just saying be ready, purposing in your heart. Uh, Second Peter chapter 3, that same passage I was talking about, the destruction of the world, and basically Peter says the earth is going to melt with a fervent heat. So yes, I believe in global warming. It's going to melt according to the Bible, uh, but it's going to happen really fast. Um, and then right after Peter tells us that in Second Peter 3, in verse 11, he says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, in other words, since the world's going to be destroyed, what sort of people ought you to be <clears throat> in lives of holiness and godliness? And verse 12, waiting for and hastening to, the, um, the, or hastening the coming, the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. <laughs> what are we supposed to do since the world's going to be destroyed? Live lives of holiness and godliness. Holiness just means whole, lacking for nothing. Like God, Jesus uh, was holy. Um, God in his word tells us, be ye holy as I the Lord am holy. Uh, he lacks for nothing. The Lord wants us to be those people. But how do we do that? By being godly. Uh, trying to be more and more like the Lord with his heart, his mind, his attitude, his action. Um, we as the church need to be less worldly and more godly. That's what we need. And then it says waiting for, that means patience, and hastening the coming of. In other words, patiently excited about the coming of the day of God. This is the thing that we're to do, to be loving of our enemies, holy and godly, waiting for and, and looking forward to the day of God um, when the Lord comes. Now, uh, you know, I kind of start to wrap this up a little bit um, tonight um, with the idea of a word that maybe you bumped into there in, in the, the Paul's letter to the Corinthians. He, they, he used that word maranatha. Uh, oh, Brett, that's a hippie 70s term that the Jesus movement talked about all the time. Yeah, when I was a kid growing up in that kind of a thing, people said, Maranatha, man. Like, it was like a hippie thing. But I think we need to bring that term back. Um, where, where does that word Maranatha come from? Well, as it turns out, it's an Aramaic word, uh, which is the language that Jesus spoke, um, Aramaic. Um, and it, it, the word Maranatha, it just means the Lord is coming or come, O Lord. Um, the early church uh, faced huge persecution. And under that life uh, uh, as a Christian under Roman rule and the Roman Empire, um, they faced all kinds of trouble and torture and all that. And so um, the Romans required, like I said earlier, everyone to declare Caesar was God or Lord. But the early Christians knew there was only one God. So um, in good conscience, they wouldn't say Caesar is Lord. Um, and so they would be put to death. Living under those adverse, like that's serious Christian persecution, but living under those adverse uh, conditions, um, the, the believers, uh, their morale was lifted by the hope of the coming of the Lord. So they would say in Aramaic, Maranatha. Um, and, and some, uh, when you read some of the early church uh, history, first century writers, they said that the believers said Maranatha and it became common as a greeting of the, the persecuted Christian church, replacing the Jewish greeting uh, of all things, shalom, which means peace. When you go to Israel, you always say shalom, you know, and that's the way everybody greets each other. But, and they did in the early church, they'd say shalom, uh, the Jews would. But eventually that word shalom was swapped out for Maranatha by the persecuted church because they said, oh Lord, come quickly. Their hope was the return of the Lord. 
Now, you might say, well, Brett, they were misguided then because they were hoping the Lord would return in their time, um, but he didn't. So see, you guys have been wrong all this time. I think that that's the way the Lord wants us to live with the hope of his return. And good news, if, if, if he doesn't return in your lifetime and you're dead or die of natural causes or whatever, um, you're still gonna be glad you lived with that hope of Christ's return. We're supposed to live as Christians with the imminence, the doctrine of imminence, that, that it could happen at any moment, the second coming of Christ. They lived it that way. Uh, we too can live it that way as well. Um, so um, one other thing I wanna say about these last days, um, because um, all the stuff I'm talking about, I, I've noticed with some of the letters I get and some of the emails I get, I, I've noticed that people kind of go, yeah, Pastor Brett, whatever, but, and then they sort of ignore, like I say, here's what the Bible says. And I have to say, I, I pretty much camp out on the Bible. Everything I say, I want it to be in line with scripture. And, and, and people will write back and say, yeah, but what about this? And what about that? And again, it's not about what we feel or what we think, because that's the deception that's happening today. Um, sec, I, I'll, I'll give one more verse before we pack it up for the evening. Second Timothy chapter four, verses three and four, it says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And I just wanna say, um, if you're gonna be ready for persecution, you also have to have clear headedness and not be deceived, not be easily duped, not to be gullible. We as Christians, you know, the, the scriptures talk about how we need to be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. Um, that's my argument for the persecuted church. Uh, as we're seeing this ramp up, I think we need to ready ourselves for what's coming. And that is to be wise, searching the scripture, not having itching ears. The term itching ears was a phrase that said people wanted to hear something new that was uh, fit their culture a little better and, and made, made more sense to what they believed about stuff. Um, so it's like in our culture when some, you know, somebody says, love is love. Well, what does that mean? They're saying, they're saying that if a person loves somebody, whether it's a male loving a male or a female loving a female or a 47-year-old man loving a 12-year-old boy, love is love. Um, and we should knock that. It's all good because love is love. Um, however, uh, be wise. Uh, people want to hear that because we're going to embrace the whole LGBTQ agenda. You want to be pro that because there's pressure on you to be that way. I'm telling you, this is a day where we have to say, nope, that's actually called sin. And love, uh, according to uh, 1 Corinthians 13, love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. That's true love. So love is not love as they're saying it. Um, be careful with that one. Uh, don't be deceived. Study the scriptures. That's the word I want to give for us on this Prophecy Update July. I know we didn't cover a lot of uh, anything really geopolitically as much. Um, maybe we'll tackle some of that uh, next month a little more. By the way, we might with this format, um, instead of being in the sanctuary with, uh, and if you're wondering why we're doing this uh, in the sanctuary, we're opening up our sanctuary for so many other events that are happening here at Athey Greek. We got a lot of things going on and I thought it'd be better to bring the prophecy update strictly online and it kind of opens up all the Fridays for the whole rest of summer. We'll do this for a season and we might go back to in the sanctuary. We'll see how that goes. But in the meantime, 
because of this format, we might once in a while throw in a little extra Prophecy Update once in a while because there's so much to talk about. So stay tuned. Watch our website. Watch our my, my social media, uh, uh, Pastor Brett Metter uh, Instagram uh, or Athey Creek Instagram or uh, Facebook. Um, you can kind of follow and we'll give you a heads up if there's any uh, Prophecy Updates we're doing uh, between now and the first Friday of August. So uh, let's close with a word of prayer and then uh, we'll call it a night. And Lord, I do pray that you'd give us ears to hear. Uh, Lord, that we would purpose in our hearts, even as Daniel the prophet, not to be defiled with this world and its system. Lord, we see how really demonic and how very evil, the very things that we're seeing right in front of us in these last days, Lord, we're seeing them uh, just get more and more crazy as uh, time goes by. Give us wisdom, Lord. I pray that you'd let our light shine in this dark world. Show us that balance of what it means to protect our families, which is what you've called us to do, but at the same time to be uh, loving and kind even to our enemies. Lord, give us that balance. Help us to think through these things and be ready for when that time comes, when we're called into account, that we'd be faithful, that we'd be found, Lord, Christians, like those first century Christians who were willing to even die for their faith. Lord, give us boldness, give us strength, I pray, and bless these, your people, tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us tonight, and we'll see you next time. God bless you.